Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. Joining us today is Jose Domingo Cruz, who is an instructor at the Kyushu Institute of Technology. Very nice to speak to you today, Jose. Chris, uh, this is uh, this is an honor. I'm 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 honored. <laughs> well, Jose is also a, a, an active and avid podcaster and uh, YouTuber, and someone who produces a lot of content. And one of the contents that we're going to be speaking about today is a book uh, that is highly relevant to the world in which we find ourselves living, which is called Teaching with Zoom: An Advanced User's Guide. So the first question I'd like to ask you, I want to get right into the text immediately, is that you address immediately the assumptions that you have about your readers, the people who are going to be using this text and assisting their students. Who did you write this book for? Was it um, to assist students? Was it to assist the teachers? Was it to assist the administration? That's a really good question. I never thought about it that way. Um, who did I write it for? I, um, I thought if it was me and I had, I had just found this book, if, if we could go back in time, if it was me reading this book, what would I like to know and how would I like it to be written for me? Now, luckily, that you know, in, in 2020, when the pandemic started, I actually did know a little bit about Zoom, so I didn't need the book back then. But there were a whole bunch of people that did. Uh, unluckily, uh, I didn't write the book soon enough for them, but I was thinking of my experiences as this person that was helping a lot of people um, back in 2020 from April through the summer, through the summer break and, and everything else like that, until uh, the fall of 2020, when I was, um, when I was asked to write the book. Um, what were the questions that were given to me often? What were the sort of mindsets that people had? Um, what was their technical background um, when it came to um, computers just in general, much less computers and pedagogy? So I wrote it for teachers. I didn't write it so much for students. So I was talking to teachers in that um, they would share the same concerns that I have for the students that, that they have. They would share the same concerns that I had uh, for how are they going to take their existing methods or existing pedagogy and, and, and all of their worries about it and bring it to an, an emergency remote teaching uh, environment. Oh, if, if it was any buddy in specific, it would be university teachers like me who really needed a, a very quick leg up on how to be able to teach online. And so what were those first questions that you received as someone who perhaps was not in a position to actually be you know, creating these courses online, but as someone who understood the online, uh, the online architecture. So people came to you because you were the one who people thought, you know what he, he knows what he's doing. So what were these first questions that first came to you? I think the first question that came to me was like, um, what the hell? With a question mark at the end of it. Uh, that was the very general question. Uh, as to the more specific questions, it would be, well, what do I do now? It was, it was just utter confusion out there. I don't know, you know, like I would actually like to hear your experiences at, at the beginning of April and March 2020. But um, certainly for me, because I had to learn how to use Zoom um, myself around February, March of mm, 2020. Mm. And just because I was maybe three steps ahead of the curve, I, I, I ended up with a lot of these people asking me these questions. And by the impetus of their asking me questions that I didn't know the answers to, mm. I ended up researching those, those answers and then coming back, um, uh, often through uh, the stuff that we did on, on online teaching Japan, uh, coming back to these people and say, hey, this is what I found out. And, um, you know, I... I very much think the idea that um, you're an academic as well too, but um, the fact that um, I think a lot of people forgot that we're social scientists, that we're supposed to be following scientific method in the things that we do. And um, uh, the, the, uh, 
the idea, thankfully enough, never abandoned my mind when I'm researching these questions that I should just approach it from a very scientific point of view. Okay, mm. well, I have this assumption. Is this assumption wrong, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, what are the details surrounding it? And then that helped me get to the answers a lot more quickly than people who were just kind of flailing. But um, there were a lot of people flailing, and it wasn't because um, they they were bad at anything that I did. It's just that it was just an incredibly stressful time. Mm. So the uh, the first questions basically were, when it came to online teaching, um, m- most of these university professors were very, very uh, set uh, and, and knew exactly what they wanted to do. They just didn't know how to deliver it online, uh, delivering it to a two-dimensional um uh, set of uh, uh, camera avatars, as opposed to living beings in front of them, whose eyes they could read very well, or or the, whose eyes they could even see. A lot of the uh, first people who were uh, immediately online um, were complaining that their students, you know, because they were just as stressed out as the teachers, were not turning on their cameras, and I had to come up with a, a solution to that. Just how to do what they did before online and then through this medium of zoom with all these buttons at the bottom and then all of these settings uh both in the application and then the website so just um zoom was the medium of choice for a lot of teachers a lot of akaiwa teachers too but it was Mm. really imposing it was good that it was imposing because you could do a lot of stuff a lot of Mm. other software like um uh, other software that was out there uh just wasn't able to do what zoom was doing but you had to know where all the buttons were. And that's where a lot of the first questions came to. Well, you, br- you bring up the, the concept of social scientists, uh, which is something that potentially uh, has been very difficult to follow up on during these last two years, because the key word there is social. We want to connect with people. We want to see people's faces. We yes. want to get their reactions. And so when it comes to things like encouraging students to share their cameras just to give my personal uh, background on this mm. it has been a policy that we never require our students to turn on their cameras that their personal space is their own personal space if they choose to come into the university that's a shared space and so that's where they are but if they're on zoom then they they never need to uh, turn on the cameras i mean they can share their screen if they've prepared a, a powerpoint or something they want to speak about with other people um how did you address that uh, I've, I've read your book and um one of the pro tips that you have one of the chapters that you have is in relation to how do you encourage students to turn on the cameras and, and share their face and share their experiences as a person rather than just a voice could you give us some background on that um, I think the first, um, and I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm high and mighty, I'm speaking from the top of the mountain, handing down stone tablets or anything like, but I think one of the first things that's, that's really important in any classroom, and most university teachers know this implicitly, implicitly uh, just uh, over their experience, and um, the really good ones know it explicitly, and they address it quite directly, is the idea that you have to create a, a bond with your students. It's not just how well you research. It's not just how well you write academic uh, 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 papers. Um, it is how well your students relate to you and how well you relate to your students. That's the, the crux of, of classroom success. And um, maybe most instructors wouldn't have written it down over all this time and said, well, exactly do this, exactly do that, because it, it, it's, you know, it's an art, it's a craft, uh, we're artisans to a certain degree, and we don't often know what we're doing, and maybe sometimes that's a good thing, because if we tried to put that lightning in a bottle, it, it probably would dissipate very, very quickly. So um, a lot of things that I, I do think about, or I did think about when I was... Um, uh, writing the book and trying to relate my experiences so it's something that people could take away from the words on the page is that how do I relate to these students as people and is there something that I do that makes it so that then my students um, enjoy themselves more in my classroom and what of that knowledge can I use to actually ease the burden both on myself and on them through this very very stressful time and um, if you or this is what I was telling myself often when I was writing the book too. If you look at these kids, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to call them kids. I'm 60 years old and they're 18. <laughs> um, if, if you look at these kids and you think about the fact that they're just as stressed out as you are, and they're, they're, they might not be stressed out 
about the same things. You know, they're not worried about assessment or dealing with the administration so much as we are, but they're stressed out about a lot of different things. And if you were stressed out trying to figure out the buttons in Zoom, so are they. And a lot of the things that we take for granted, um, maybe those are the things that are stressing kids to the point where they just don't want to even appear on camera. Mm. You know, um, maybe uh, there were so many ways to, to think about all of the things that kids could be going through. Um, I'll give you one example. Uh, there was one time on Online Teaching Japan that we were discussing about how um, some kids, when they were given an assignment to, um, to provide some kind of photo, uh, there was one instructor who wanted to get a photo of all of his kids because he wasn't going to meet them in a classroom. And he figured his strategy would be like, I want you to send me a photo of yourself in email. And, um, and I thought, okay, well, that's an interesting kind of novel way to do it. So then you can attach a name uh, or a face to a name because sometimes these kids don't turn on their cameras or when they do, you want to make sure that, hey, that's the kid that's supposed to be in my class. Um, I got to admit the guy who wrote it tended to be a, a little bit more worried about um, uh, kids just trying to sort of sneak around certain things in his, in his curriculum. But in any case, he, um, he asked for these kids uh, to send in their photos. And um, the photos that were being sent in, um, he was complaining outright that they weren't very good. They were obviously, you know, like um, a photograph of a photograph. So some kid would take his, his ID that had a really bad photo in it. He'd take a photograph of that and the photograph itself wasn't very good and he sent it to him. And then, um, and, and the person, uh, the teacher was complaining that these kids just don't have any respect for the things that I asked. Can't they actually just take a photograph of themselves? And um, granted, there's, there's something to be said for that. These, these kids should know how to take their camera and, and, and take a photograph of themselves. But uh, basically, I was thinking, geez, come on, man, like some of these kids are just going through hell themselves. Um, um, some of them are foreign students that are not able to get around uh, for whatever reason, and um, they're, they're not able to um, um, communicate even with their friends uh, or have made any friends because they've been locked up as soon as they, they got here in January. Not locked up, but I mean, you're basically locked down. And um, I just thought maybe just a little bit more empathy and, and hopefully compassion uh, towards the people who you are dealing with at all levels. So all of your colleagues, the administration, a lot of people were, me too, were complaining about the administration about their, you know, some of their dumbass decisions. But I tried to tell myself, yes, but these, you know, um, as they say, crap rolls downhill and they're dealing with it from their upper administration too. And um, we're dealing with it the best ourselves. So we, we try to be, uh, we should try to be as empathic and compassionate with each other. And if we take that attitude to our students, um, it'll get you miles. Another example, if, if I may, Chris, um, uh, is that um, when teachers are thinking, why don't these kids turn on their cameras? There's the entire possibility that these students, okay, and I'm talking about 2020 when Zoom was new to everybody, mm -hmm. they didn't know where the camera button was, right? And um, awesome. I, don't know, I don't know about you, but right now I'm watching you and me in gallery view. Are you watching Zoom in gallery view right now? Uh, I believe so. Okay, so both of us, like I'm on one side and you're on the other side, right? That's gallery view. And um, Zoom back in 2020 defaulted to speaker view. You would have, you know, maybe a row, a strip of um, right, avatars right. at the top, and then the one person talking would take up the majority of, of the Zoom window. And in a classroom, that generally tends to be the teacher. And um, if the teacher is the only one talking all the time, you're seeing this great big face of Jose Cruz through the entire 90 minutes. And you don't see. And no your, one wants to see that. No, who does? <laughs> I mean, I barely don't. You know, and that's that's only when I brush my teeth. And and nobody does. And these um these kids themselves are getting tired of seeing that one face all the time. Right. And and they don't know where the button is, or and or they don't know where the button is. So, what I was saying in my book was that well, make no assumptions about what these kids are doing on the other side of the camera and what they mm. see and what they're experiencing. How did, and I asked the, the instructor reading the book, how did you make your Zoom environment more comfortable for yourself? What adjustments did you do? And who got you there? Because I remember a lot of the time back uh, in April, 2020, 
I was telling teachers, this is gallery view. And they're going, oh, well, that's nice. Now I can see everybody's faces. Hmm. And sometimes that light shone in their eyes. And I thought, maybe that's something that I have to check to make sure that my students know how to do. Because if not, you're going to be looking at me all the time. But what they want to do, and this was very clearly um, shown in, in later surveys, was that, um, you know how the, the education ministry uh, made a huge mistake back in the summer of 2021 or so. And is it what these kids want is to get back to campus. So we're going to do face-to-face classes. Yeah, that was the start of uh, 2021 April. And they wanted to bring a lot of face-to-face classes back to the kids because they felt, according to the surveys that they had read, these kids were missing um, their, their, their classes and they wanted to go back uh, to the classroom. What they didn't understand was they misread those survey results. And what the kids wanted was the social aspect of school. They wanted to talk to their friends. They wanted to have some kind of social connection. They didn't necessarily want to go back to their classes. I mean, uh, I don't know about Kyushu University. You guys probably have a better uh, class of uh, student in in terms of sleeping and playing on their phones. But um, they didn't necessarily want to go back to their classes. They just wanted to see their friends. Well, let, let's 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 take it. Let's take a, a bit of a dive into that then, if, mm-hmm. if that's your uh, takeaway from mm-hmm. what Momoku Gaksho was was saying. Mm-hmm. So, how could we facilitate uh, social interaction between students? Because um, I, I think we both agree that your time at university is not just about reading books. It's not just about being in classes. It's about, you know, growing up, learning how to interact with people who have similar interests to you, learning how to be, I don't know, a functional adult living away from your family for a while. So what other things could the universities have been doing at this time, if not bringing them back into face-to-face classes? Well, uh, if you think about uh, normal the normal sort of campus life uh, pre-pandemic, a lot of the things that um, students uh, saw as the vehicle to this sort of social interaction, this kind of um, fun part of university was their club and circle activities, was uh, just, you know, hanging around in the hallways, um, going to the cafeteria with your friends and, and laughing at jokes with each other. There was no way to bring that to, um, a virtual experience at this point with, you know, 100% success, even if um, something like Sony's Second Life or Meta's, you know, Zuckerberg's Metaverse uh, is is successful, people will still want to take off those 3D goggles or put down their controllers and go outside and go for a walk with their friends. That's just the way we are as human beings. We appreciate um, the, the physical more than the virtual, no matter how strong the virtual is. But I don't know what the universities did, honestly, because I'm not a full-time teacher. So I'm kind of speaking out the the side of my face here, but um, I don't think these kids were given a lot of opportunities to make circle friends. Um, The clubs basically just shut down. Um, The university said, well, look, tennis club, what are you guys gonna do in a virtual situation? You can't play tennis. You can't, or did you even try? Uh, Did you you maybe try to see if these kids can, um, you know, find some way to play tennis with each other, maybe uh, through uh, just letting them sit in a circle and say, what do you guys want to do? Hey, well, I just got a PlayStation and uh, I got a PlayStation. Hey, well, I got an Xbox. Oh, but there's this tennis. I don't know. But there's this idea that uh, the universities, in my opinion, just basically gave up on uh, trying to simulate a social interaction with these kids. And it was up to the instructors to try to do something like that. And um, it seemed that when I did try to do that in my classes, the kids did seem to be uh, to be very welcoming of it. And, and I think most of the reports that I got from other university teachers, too, when they said, oh, yeah, I did that, too. And the kids were just so happy to have a chance to talk to each other. And, and I think it fell to a lot of the, um, the language teachers who know the importance of interaction in a classroom, as opposed to the straight lecture teachers who are just trying to plow mm-hmm. through a curriculum and uh, finish their lecture notes because they may not have had a huge experience in thinking it's, my, it's part of my responsibility in my classroom to get these kids to talk to each other and to understand and, and learn through my classroom. Um, okay, granted, simulated interactions. This is how they learn to become better adults. 
Well, one of the notes that I have down is the uh, idea of interaction. You bring that up in your book when it comes to specifically within Zoom, the raise hand function. Mm. So oftentimes what we will try and do in our classes or what we might do, even if we were giving a research presentation is ask a general question to the room and by the raising or non-raising of hands, you're actually making a connection with the people yes. in the room. They're making yes. a decision either to interact or not interact, but you're connecting with them. Could you give us a, a breakdown of how you recommended using that function and why? I mean, I, I agree it is very, very important in face-to-face, -face, but when it's connected to online learning, how important it is to create these uh, these vectors of connection with your students, even if you can't see their faces, even if the only person they're hearing is you. It's incredibly important. If, um, if you don't try your best at every point in the class to make it uh, clear to the students that you want their input at any point, and you tell them from their beginning, hey, you know, you can, you can ask me any question any time you want, just open up your microphone, um, just make sure there's no background noise in there. But um, if there's, you know, if, if I've got a fly on my face, tell me, you know, um, if you, if I, if I, if, if I don't make something clear and I, and here's another thing, you know, like um, uh, I was about to finish that story about gallery view. When I told my students, okay, now this is how you do gallery view. And you could see, um, and more so back in uh, 2020 uh, than in 2021, when um, especially my second year students who uh, in 2021 may have gotten this experience the year before, when I showed them what gallery view could do, they, you could see their faces go, and, and the, you know, their eyes would widen up and their mouths would open, mm. oh my mm. God, I can see everybody. And um, if we don't do that for them, I'm not, at all surprised that um, they just wanted to shut their cameras off after a while. It got, it got boring. If we find ourselves using gallery view um, all the time, just because it's so much easier at a presentation, always immediately, if I find myself in speaker view and move it right back to gallery view, then how much more comfortable will the kids be to not have to look at me as, as the bigger part of the screen and to be able to see their friends. And you can see them waving to each other sometimes, you know, um, and, and I tell people in the book, make sure the kids know how to use that. Make sure they know how to use that reactions button. And I spend um, in the first class showing them, listen, that's the applause button. What you pushed was the applause button. That's going to disappear in about 10 seconds. Now I want you to learn how to use the raise hand button because that will stay up until you know, I can see you because I might literally be looking down at my notes for mm. a good seven seconds and completely miss your applause button. And mm. as much as I like getting applause and that's not the right <laughs> button and um, showing them that showing them gallery view, because we needed to learn how these things worked. Right. And one of the advantages that I had was a lot of these questions are being um, thrown at me. And I realized by sensing the pattern of, of the frequency of these questions, what it was the teachers didn't know. And if that's the case, and it's probably what students don't, don't know. And I still take um, no matter which semester it is, an opportunity, especially with first year students who just came out of high school and mm. most high schools, especially here in, in Kyushu, where we both are, um, did not go online to any great extent. And these kids were just forced to go face to face. So this is probably their first real experience with Zoom. Um, and this uh, experience also went back even before the pandemic when a lot of teachers were complaining that uh, why can't these kids learn how to type well, why don't they know how to type on a word processor? Well, what's the matter with these kids? Well, literally, what's the matter with these kids? They were never taught how to use a word processor. Word, word processing is not something that's part of the major part of the curriculum in Japan. So when teachers um, get these kids and they've got gobbledygook all over the word processing documents that they hand in, they, they, they get angry. And I'm going, don't get angry. Go, go ahead and teach. There's something missing. Then there's something these kids need need to learn. And and I took that same approach in um in uh, in Zoom as well too. Well, I agree with you. As a father of two sons who both are in elementary school, one who is uh, twelve, one who's nine, uh, we had to address this when it came to them receiving their workbooks, their their Chromebooks, oh. and then having to use them and typing and and other things that trying to teach them how to use this thing because we didn't teach them how to type and I was never taught to type before the age of I don't know 14 15 and 
trying to put lessons online that only require selecting A, B, C, D. It's not the best way to teach. You have to have this kind of interaction. So this is something that uh, has certainly come up from my position as a parent during uh, this lockdown. Um, yes. In connection to, you said that uh, when people were going to turn on their microphones, they're going to turn right. on their cameras. Yeah. And the idea of background noise. Now, this comes yeah. from something i mean even before this interview we checked each other's audio levels right. we checked each other's um microphone levels just to make sure that this would be something that would not be uncomfortable for mm. our listeners to listen mm -hmm, to mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. how much did you address the idea of having a good audio environment or a good video environment before turning on a video i'll, I'll just use an example sure. i had a student who was studying in another country She'd never been to Japan, um, and I didn't realize how far she was away. She'd had to get up very early in the morning, um, like three, four o'clock in the morning, to join our classes, oh. and had been a very active participant in the classes, but wow. she'd always felt that her participation was affected by the fact that her Wi-Fi wasn't very good or her video background wasn't very good and it was all dark behind her and uh, how do you counsel students to make sure that even if they're feeling uncomfortable about their audio or video environment to join in with the classrooms to make sure that they're part of the community so you're asking me how do i help kids who are a little bit shy about the quality of their situation to still be part of, of what's going on in the classroom? Well, particularly, I mean, confidence is something when it comes to speaking in a second, third, yes. fourth language. I mean, we're like, we're English language instructors teaching in Japan. So if they're all in the same room, then a lot of those concerns are mitigated. Yes. But if this is being uh, transmitted through, you know, the, the, the medium of a computer and their technology might not be that good and their voice is not that great because of the microphones not fantastic but they want to participate have you had a situation where you've had to kind of counsel a student or a, a class of students to speak up and be part of the class even though their audio visual environment isn't that great i i don't know if in my experience that the problem is unique the problem that you're describing is unique to the pandemic and it's specifically uh, linked or there probably are plenty of cases where kids were like embarrassed about the fact that they've got to do this um, in a house and the best place to actually situate their notebook computer happens to be the living room for whatever reason. But in the living room, um, they sometimes have their parents walking around and maybe the puppy will walk past or of course the cat will walk across the keyboard and um, most people will find that very cute but you know when you're, well, when I, you're I, had a, I had a situation where the 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 rooster <laughs> would be getting involved because they lived on a farm so every now and again they'd be wanting to make a point but um someone in the backyard with a big uh with a big feathery tail was trying to make his voice heard as well so you know, if, if I saw that, uh, just as a quick example, what would I do if I saw a rooster? And I thought maybe, well, this is only the first week, the second week, and a lot of, the, a lot of these kids are kind of shy. Um, you, you have, it's hard to read the room when you're not reading a room. You're, you're looking at two-dimensional characters. And it's a bit of a risk because, of course, um, for all I know, uh, I, I'm, or for all I know, all humans can actually smell to some degree, uh, you know, pheromones in the air like dogs can, you know, they, they say that dogs can smell fear. And um, I've always thought that maybe there's, there's a, an idea to, that um, in the classroom, maybe you don't consciously know that you're sensing that your kids are upset are on mast or a little bit stressed out because you're stressed out. And then you suddenly realize, wow, everybody's kind of stressing out. Maybe it's time for a quick stretch or something. But um, maybe humans can smell a bit of that. Maybe I, I'm good at it. I don't know. But um, I like to think that if a rooster went past in the background of one of my students' cameras, that I would say, is that a rooster? And, and, and smile and look and try to 
and yeah, I'm faking it a bit, but I'm trying to fake it to myself too, that um, this is not a moment where like, I should sit there and go, how dare you let that rooster come into the background or try to ignore it so that then the, the student goes, oh my God, the teacher is trying to actively keep me from being uh, noticed by the other students. Instead, embrace the moment. Exactly. It's not like uh, a student is in your class and from their backpack immediately a rooster, a rooster came out, right? Yeah. It's that this is a, a, an actual lived experience and acknowledging it and uh, being, you know, cognizant of the fact that, you know, it's not a perfect situation. Yes. So. A lot of teachers, too, um, to, uh, to, to, I don't know if they, they actively use it as a, a method of mitigation, but they thought that, um, you know what, everybody, it's bring your pet day. Um, so we're going to have, it's bring your pet day. And uh, in the last five minutes of class, we're going to, we're going to put our pets in front of the camera. If you don't have a pet, uh, bring a stuffed toy or bring, bring your, you know, your, uh, your one-year-old brother or sister and just hold them up in front of the camera or whatever. And, uh, and it worked. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that goes back to your question about how do you create um, a comfortable social milieu uh, for these kids to feel as if um, their, uh, their uh, presence is welcomed and uh, for whatever else it is, it's whether or not they, they, they do participate a lot or they do um, participate very, very little, but they're part of the group. But you create these things that everybody can do and that um, they feel themselves that, um, okay, well, I'm not really good at the present participle, but I got a really cute cat and everybody loves my cat. Um, that is something you can be proud of. And that's something that makes you wanna to come to the next class. Mm. Trying to make it comfortable, um, I think, so that then kids find their own level. They, you know, water finds its own level. Why do they want to come to class? Um, it's, uh, you hope it's for the English instruction or for whatever um, topic that you teach. But sometimes you just have to leverage what you can. And this is an attitude that I, I think I had even before the pandemic. And um, I, I like to call it not just um, linguistic scaffolding, but psychological scaffolding uh, where um, even the, the best of our students themselves, when they're brand new in a class, and sometimes it is the really good students, they don't wanna show to everybody that they have TOEIC 900 level English immediately off the bat on the first sentence. It takes a bit of a narcissist to want to, on the very first thing they say out loud in class, just spiel off some Shakespeare. Okay. Mm. Um, a lot of kids I know of who are really good at English want to sort of moderate that in and it are really, they really don't want to stand out in class. So you create psychological scaffolding so that you, you alert everyone to the idea that no matter what they do in terms of participation, it is welcomed, it is celebrated, mm. and that everybody, even the TOEIC 880 over there and this TOEIC 440 over there, that's that's a pretty mixed level class, but let's. I've I've had classes like that, and maybe sure, you have sure. too. Um, that their participation uh, is welcomed, and that they can learn from each other. Yeah. Um, that's something that I do, and I I don't mean to this to be a shameless plug uh, for my website as well as my book. But um, um, on Goldfish three six five, I have. Um, a lot of documentation about the teaching method that I use called verbal classrooms. One of the things that verbal classrooms does is it puts everybody on an even ground in terms of what it is that they do and they don't know about fluency. This mm -hmm. fluency is not about your level of vocabulary knowledge or your level of grammatical knowledge. It's about how quickly you can spiel off words. And there are some very, very fluent people who have horrible mean length runs. And these are kids who can, who can really pick off an 850 on a TOEIC, but they can't speak for any more than 30 or 40 seconds at a time. Mm -hmm. But there are some kids, and we've met them. I, I don't even have to ask you. I know you've met them. These kids were horrible with their TOEIC scores and their grammar is all over the place. But boy, they love to talk and they can talk and talk and talk and talk. Right. You match those two up, they start learning from each other and the classroom just feels like, hey, this is a really cool place. Everybody's on an even, an uneven, um, a plane. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with you. And, and you're right to bring up this idea that um, that there are different competencies. So with vocabulary, gram grammatical, pronunciative, and also uh, fluency yes. as well. I would also like to congratulate you on using the word milieu. Oh, for, the, for uh, you're the first uh, person and we've had French and Belgian people on this podcast and they've never they've never gone that far so i would i would like to congratulate you on that one um okay. i would also like to bring up <laughs> your uh 
your project uh, or your connection with online teaching in ah. Japan, which I mm. think is something that even though we we hope and we pray we're coming to the end of the <sighs> the lockdowns and the and the necessity for mm, mm, online mm, teaching mm-hmm. i don't think that there will be an end to the online support that we can give to our uh students whether they're language students or uh content-based students uh, could you give us some background in your connection to that project sure um how many more hours have we got to this podcast? This story goes on for a while. Well, and, I mean, and, uh, lunch is coming up in a bit, but I'll give you a few it. minutes. Sure. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll give you the very, very short version. Uh, the, 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 the basic thesis here is, had it not been for online teaching Japan, had it not been for OTJ, as we like to call it, I would not be sitting here with you. Uh, I would not have written that book. I would not have been able to help as many people as I think I have helped. And I would not have been able to meet and make as many friends as I did and be given the opportunity to, um, to find some relevance uh, or more relevance. No, no, some relevance. I was a pretty relevant guy before the pandemic, but to find some relevance in what I do in academics in Japan, had it not been for online teaching Japan. So OTJ started, uh, I believe, um, uh, David Juto, the owner of the group, the, star- the guy who started the group, I believe that he started it around um, late February, early March. Of, um, of uh, 2020, when he was kind of tasked with the idea of um, getting his university's staff uh, together to learn how to, 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 to use the Moodle that was already installed uh, for the university and uh, to get everybody to, to know how to team that up with Zoom because that was going to be uh, their system of choice to come up with policies that the entire staff could could all agree with. Because it was basically his responsibility to do that. He thought, I'm not going to try to do this alone. I need a bunch of friends. And he had already made a bunch of Facebook groups before from music and a bunch of other things that he's done. So he decided, well, that's what I'm going to do it again. So he did it. Um, the staff who were asked to join in, joined in. They started trading ideas and it was a fairly lively discussion. And eventually word started getting out to other people. Hey, we're having a good discussion about exactly that topic. Why don't you join us on this Facebook group? And, um, and then it started spreading like wildfire. Uh, one person would say this to like five friends and you know it was, it was like um you know how the difference between omicron and, and delta and um the uh the the original variants of the uh of the virus are are measured in their r naught factors r zero factors mm-hmm. uh, in terms of their um uh, of their uh in, infection rates uh, the infection rate of otj was i think well beyond omicron uh, you know we were infecting like 10 people at a time we were in, we were inviting all of our teaching friends uh, to come into otj and it went from uh, basically a group of about 50 people uh, when it first opened in march of 2020 and by summer uh, it was up to um summer of 2020 uh, when we had the first summer sessions conference that we did uh it was about 1500 people and it now it sits at about two it's almost 2900 people wow and 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 that doesn't sound like a lot i mean like ariana grande gets that many new followers in a day but these are very serious university professors who who populate the board with incredible discussions Mm. um and uh not not just with online uh, pedagogy, but uh, pedagogy related to online teaching, and online teaching itself, uh, in terms of its techniques, its uh, its hardware, its software. Oh, I still have to answer that question of yours about um, audio and video. But um, just to finish up about OTJ, that's where I found myself around um, April of 2020, um, answering a lot of questions and, and providing, I think, some useful information about Zoom. And eventually I started attracting more of these questions and my name got around as, as the Zoom guy. Mm. And um, mm. as the Zoom guy, uh, I, I started um, uh, sponsoring um, weekend Saturday night sessions where we would just basically sit and I would make sure anybody who needed to get their hands dirty with Zoom, learn with the breakout room, functions were learn uh, the screen sharing functions mm-hmm. um when zoom started moving up from uh, version 4. Point something to 4.8 to 5.1 and then etc cetera, etc cetera, um, a lot of these new functions would come out um that uh, reputation moved on from uh just being the zoom guy to the point where 
JALT itself, you know, like JALT, the national uh, organization called on me and said, hey, we'd like you to, uh, to help us organize um, the Zoom um, venues for uh, the PAN-SIG conference. Because I helped a little bit, a very tiny, very unofficial amount with Jolt Call. So they called me in officially to do that for Pan Sig. And I did that with uh, my good friend Jenny Crittenden. And with the help of Joe Tomei, we, we did what we were asked to do, which is to make sure that these uh, presentations, which are normally in physical venues, um, went over well and the presenters were able to focus on their presentation and not on the, the technical aspects of things by making sure there was a second person in the room with them that was from JALT. That success went over to the national conference and at the national conference, uh, Jenny did an amazing job with the scheduling and uh, we, we did the same thing there too. But most importantly, after that um, national conference, um, I was being uh, noticed by uh, Dorothy Zemak. Now, I, I'm pretty sure you know who Dorothy Zemak is, because a lot of people know who Dorothy Zemak is. And she tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, I want you to write a book. And, uh, and I, I, I was just totally flustered. And I thought, Dorothy Zemak wants me to write a book. And at first, I thought I was being pranked because it was just so unlikely, the whole idea that I would come out of nowhere. And, and then I'm leading these conferences. And then I'm being asked to write a book about the one topic that uh, I, I seem to know something about. But um, that's where that culminated. I wrote the book uh, that following spring break, and, uh, and that's what you have in your hands right now. Well, I'd, I'd like to circle back to your connection with uh, Dorothy Zemak. I mean, you're absolutely right. I can look to one, two, three uh, textbooks that are on my shelf right now mm -hmm. that were written or co-authored by Dorothy right. Zemak. And um, I'd like to just just go back and the to look at the idea of interactions, because sure. if you say that there are thousands of interactions, what's most important is the quality of the interaction. Yes. It's not that person. It's not that a person is liking what you're doing or just giving you some kind of uh, ephemeral reaction to the things that you're putting online, but they're asking you a question. They're, they are giving you buying questions. How do I do this? Yes. Why is this important? What's the next step? To bring this uh, interview to a close, basically, uh, where are you going from here in relation to online teaching, OTJ? You know, what's the next step that we, as I say, hopefully we're coming to the end of this online uh necessity that we are going to go back to face-to-face -face with confidence what do you see as the next step that we can have an interaction between face-to-face -face and online works what do you think is the next stage for people in our business the next stage for people in our business wow i wish i had uh, the end to that sentence i, I I'll, I'll be honest with you i'll be sitting here thinking okay come on come up come up with some a good answer come on here <laughs> you, you gotta you gotta look good and i have no idea I, I, I really don't know because there are so many factors out there. Um, and um, when people ask me to come and speak about um, remote teaching or online teaching, um, I've had a couple of opportunities like that now. And, um, and I think to myself, okay, come up with something pithy, come up with something that uh, will tell people which way to look in terms of the next direction. And, um, and I'm, I'm always struck with the idea that I really don't know uh, because um, it really depends on so many things. Uh, one of them is the attitude of the instructors themselves. And I still see a lot, uh, more so than I would like. Maybe it's not a lot, you know, a lot being uh, hard to define, but I see more than I like the attitude that, oh, I can't wait to get back to normal. We are not going to go back to whatever people think that normal is. Um, I'll just give you one example. In my classrooms, because I, I emphasize speaking so much that um, I disavow textbooks I didn't even like students writing uh, notes down. Um, no, I'm not quite that hard ass anymore, but um, in my speaking and writing classes, in my reading classes now, I'm tasked with a lot of different things than I, I had been before. Um, it has become obvious to me how powerful a good learning management system software like Moodle uh, can be in terms of not just making it easier for me to, to do my assignments, but to, to help students to learn more, uh, to, to advance pedagogically. And um, I still see a lot of teachers wanting to abandon that. Now, if there were teachers wanting to abandon that and get back to the way things were, I do understand why, but I think that's, that's a bit of a lost cause. We're not going to go back to that. But you can tell that this is this mishmash of attitudes, um, 
there's a lot of changes, a lot of uh, uh, even software like Zoom has realized what a, what a what kind of a giant wave is behind it, and it's using its that now to change its makeup over time. It's not just um, setting itself up as a as conferencing software anymore, but it's setting itself up as um, event software. And uh, probably when they have more time, they'll try to make more of the software that or the features that they have in their software towards education. Now, depending on how the software itself changes, how the um, the, uh, the 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 university administrators or and, and, and educators themselves change their attitudes, we could see an, a groundswell of, of of new things coming from any place uh, in in the world in, in addressing any specific thing that we've never noticed before. So when I, people ask me what's up, what's coming in the future, all I can say at this point is keep your eyes open and keep your mind happy. If, um, if you're still looking at this as a, a lot of worried, with a lot of worried glances and thinking, oh no, my job, oh no, my poor students, oh no, this, oh no, that, you're not in the right frame of mind to see opportunities. You're going to be closing down things that because you're thinking, oh no, that's, that's gonna be bad. Um, there was a, one of um, the people that I was dealing with when they were seeing new features in Zooms, their immediate um, uh, reaction was, oh, those are just bells and whistles. Let's get back to teaching. And, um, and I thought, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe they are just bells and whistles, but let's try them first. Mm-hmm. Let's see mm-hmm. if they actually add anything to the pedagogy to immediately you know, just dismiss them as just bells and whistles. Uh, I think itself is not the right attitude. Um, keep your mind happy, keep your eyes open, uh, look for the opportunities. That's what got me where I am. Um, I wanted to help people. I, I wanted to, 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 to meet other people as well too. And you know, what came out of it is, is now I'm, I'm recognized as somebody that you maybe want to ask questions of. Well, I want the final question I'd like to ask you is related to something that you've just said. And I, I wasn't planning to ask you this, but Sure. You brought you brought up the word, and it's something that very early on in our podcast run, we interviewed a professor called Mark Helgeson, who, oh, Mark. Had, who had self-published a book on the science of happiness. Yes. And so you brought up the word happy, mm-hmm. and let's take this out of the realm of technology. Let's sure. take it out of the realm of uh, classroom. How have you, in a situation where you've had to change a lot of how you address your work how have you remained happy uh first a shout out to mark helgeson uh I like absolutely a, a friend of mine um awesome guy and uh and he talks about um you know how to stay positive how to be happy uh and congratulations on your retirement mark um uh, absolutely uh, uh, yes well done mark you've you've made it to the end yeah <laughs> uh, but keep it going and I want to eat one of you. You know, it's weird. Like I think of these people like Mark Helgeson and Curtis Kelly and yep. uh, David Juto, who I work very, very closely with. I have not met any of these people, not physically. I've not shaken hands with any of those three people that uh, I have just uh, mentioned. Now. And I've not shaken hands with you. Not yet. Uh, but but right. And and um, and it's weird how this has brought us into this situation. And when you ask me, how do I? or what kind of attitude do I try to maintain? Mm. Um, I suppose it would be really, really easy to, to say to yourself, oh no, all these people, I haven't met them and I haven't been home in, in like, uh, you know, uh, uh, 20 months or 24 months and, and, and I miss my classroom and I miss the feel of chalk. Yes, I understand that, but there is no reason to dwell on it. Um, when I was younger, I would sometimes hear people my age, you know, 50 years old, 60 years old going on. Happiness is a switch and it really is just a flick. You just either turn it on or don't turn it on. You either choose to be happy or you don't. And, and I was at 18 years old because I wasn't able to self-regulate as much as, as I would have liked. I was going, what are you talking about? Because it's happiness is not a switch. You can't just make yourself happy. And I realize now that you can. Um, it, it is... Now, there are, there are specific ways to do it. You know, you get lots of sleep, you eat good food, uh, you try to stay away from bad habits like alcohol and liquor. I'm failing completely at staying away from liquor. Uh, but exercise, all of those things. Okay, but sure, those are sure. known things and they don't need to be pounded on all the time, but just people don't do them. 
And but the most important thing is people don't choose to be happy. They don't choose to look at the moments that they have and to revel in them. Um, I was surprised last night. I uh, I was I was I don't know if you uh, you might have seen that it was a, it was a photograph that I put on my Facebook, and I was just I just started a restaurant and I just uh, finished a meal at the restaurant and it's a restaurant that I've been going to for the past. Oh God, 1997. So something like the past 25 years. Mm -hmm. So I've grown old with the restaurant owners and they're like, they're a family, right? And they're really nice. And I, I go in there a lot. Um, and, um, and they see me sometimes. And sometimes when the place isn't so busy, they just bring out a cup of coffee to me because I, I don't even know their names. Um, well, not their last names. I know what their, uh, not their first name. I know what their last names are. They don't know my name, but they know that I've been there a lot. And I get this free cup of coffee and, uh, and I finish my meal and I think to myself, you know what, you know what, this has been a really shitty two years, but you know what, I have a good life. I, I have I'm, all four of my limbs are working. I can still bend. Uh, I still bend uh, at my back to, to, to pick things up and, and, and do my gardening and stuff like that. I have a house. I have a, a car. All of the things that... Um, people yearn for in, in, you know, the four fifths of, of the world's population I have. And for me to just sit here and dwell, not ignore, but to dwell on the problems that I have and not look at them as challenges to try to find ways to help people. I think I'm, I'm, I'm abstaining from the things that I could do to become more useful. It's, it's, you can either look at this and say, oh, my God, I got so much marking left to do. And I've got that kid in class and I've got to deal with him on Wednesday. Oh, I hate this life. Yeah, you could. You could be like that, but you don't have to be. And um, I would rather be um, what Mark would often tell us uh, we could be, which is basically just happy people. So it's a switch. And I know it's hard, but um, first of all, do all those things, you know, get lots of rest, eat good food and, and get exercise, and then try to find the happy points in, in, in your life. And it'll get you miles, I think. No, I completely agree. I, I think that this is something that hasn't been promoted enough during these last two years that people have been stressed out and trying to find work throughs in relation to trying to get research done in order to get their jobs completed. But they didn't open their eyes wide enough to recognize that there are things in their life that on a single moment could turn them from being stressed to happy. I mean, I'm, I'm very, very lucky in my life that I have uh, a wife, I have two children, I have yes, two young boys yes. who uh, all they have to do, even if we've been having an argument about homework and uh, what they have to do and getting ready for the next day, all they have to do is give me a hug and I'm done. I'm I'm happy. Dopamine. The, 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 it, it is dopamine, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. I I think we should look for it in more wholesome places than than have been possibly available to us in the past. I mean, it just it, it's social social contact is very very important, but even just taking a walk around the block will yes. give you a dopamine hit. And just to get back to the classroom. It is so easy, uh, or it has been so easy the last couple of years, because it is quite understandable why teachers are stressed out, and to forget that when you're feeling that a lot, and you're not trying to regulate it, you're going to start showing it to the camera. Correct. When you start showing it to the camera, that's going to affect all of your students. And if you're wondering, why is everybody so down and so depressed, and no one's turning on their cameras, maybe it it's could because be you. it could be you, because you're sitting there going, Nobody's turning on their cameras. Come on, you guys, turn on your cameras. Would you really want to turn on your camera to that teacher who's acting like that? No, you don't. So, yeah, uh, look, part of what we learn, if, we, if you were trained by a good teacher trainer, and by the way, one more plug, um, tomorrow I will be uh, doing an interview on online teaching Japan with one of the best teacher trainers in Japan. His name is uh, Charlie Brown. Uh, you know Charlie Brown, vocabulary, NGSL guy? That's is, right. Uh, whatever Lucy doesn't do with him and the um, and the football, the football. No, okay, well, this is new. What what story is this? Uh, anyway, Char Charlie Brown, Lucy, and the football. Oh, oh, that Charlie Brown. Okay, <laughs> I try not to associate this Charlie Brown with that. But okay, I get it now. Yeah, no, uh, uh, no. This is this is Doctor Charles Brown. He's famous for um, his studies uh, and and uh, setting up the NGSL. So everybody knows him as the vocabulary guy. But his other great passion is um is uh is working uh, training teachers. And um, a good teacher trainer like Charlie Brown will probably tell you 
that the aura that you emit to your students, whether it's physically or virtually in, uh, in either type of classroom, is so important to getting them to loosen up. If they see you as someone who laughs easily, if they see you as someone who laughs encouragingly, because there are teachers who laugh disparagingly, which is just an awful thing to do to your students and to welcome mistakes as an opportunity to learn and to know how to phrase when, when a student, how to, how to phrase a correction so that when a student gets something wrong, you don't immediately you just slap them on the forehead and say, no, that's wrong. You don't say that. You, you phrase it in a different way. Those are all things that I think cannot come out of, of a morose attitude on the part of the teacher. It has to come out of a sense of, I, I'm happy to be here, at least for this hour, I'm exhausted and I'm probably gonna go take a nap, nap after, but it's nice to see you guys. Maybe not so much you in that corner of the room, but for most of you, I enjoy being here and I'm, I hope you're gonna enjoy it with me too. Let's have some fun. Well, uh, is this uh, presentation going to be available online? Oh yeah, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to say it. So uh, yeah. Um, Online teaching Japan, one of the things that um, I do is that uh, twice a month, we have something called Online Teaching Japan TV, OTJ TV. And what it is is basically a Zoom meeting like this. And I, uh, on my account, I have a, a professional level paid account, and that allows you to take any Zoom meeting and to project it as a live stream directly uh, into YouTube or in Facebook. And you can either send it out in Facebook from your timeline so all of your friends can see it or to a specific group. So I take the live stream, I, I, I push it into um, OTJ and everybody knows at a certain time to go into OTJ and they'll be able to click the button and watch the live stream. That's called OTJ TV. This particular Saturday, uh, the normal time is 10 a.m. for OTJ TV um, on the second and fourth Saturday of the month. But um, this time, um, this will be a Saturday at uh, 3.30 in the afternoon, just because um, Dr. Brown has something else that he needs to do this morning. But that should be a really, really good conversation. Every time I talk to Charlie, I learn a lot of new stuff. He's not just the, he is the vocabulary. He's not just the vocabulary guy. So we're going to be talking about teacher training, um, textbooks, um, critical thinking, uh, all kinds of really, really interesting things, I think, this time around. Well, we'll, uh, we'll provide a link to that uh, yes, please. Uh, for people to go back and uh, because we're recording this ahead of time. This is true. That will uh, our listeners will be able to go back and uh, enjoy that yeah. at their convenience. It'll uh, be recorded, though, so that um, if sorry to interrupt, Chris, it'll it'll be recorded, fine. though. So even if you do hear this recording, you know, uh, because <laughs> that conversation live with Charlie Brown is going to be literally in about uh, 27 hours from now, you and me talking, uh, mm -hmm. but there will be recording and it'll be on online teaching Japan. Uh, oh, and for everybody else, go to Facebook, if you have Facebook, or if you don't have Facebook, go to Facebook and search for online teaching Japan, and you should find our group. It's a private group. Make sure that you answer all of the questions so that then we can give you a membership to, to let you in and, 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 uh, and participate in, in what we do there. And that will give you uh, the opportunity to, to see the recording. Sounds great. And I would recommend that all of our listeners uh, go there because what we want more than anything else is to build a community of people yeah. who care about these issues and to bring other resources to people's um, presence. And you're so, doing a great job of that too, with, with the podcast, you're, you're bringing a lot of people forward that I think, um, you know, you're looking at that list of, of um, past uh, episodes, you've got some pretty good plenary level keynote level uh, speakers there. And, um, and I'm, I said, as I said, at the outset, I'm very honored to be part of the people that were chosen to, to be on it, but you're, you're doing a, a great part contributing to creating that community. Well, creating this community is something that we wanted from the outset, that we wanted to not only people who we wanted to speak to, but that we thought other people should hear from. And you're certainly somebody who we are very happy uh, that you, well, thank you very uh, much. are a part of it. And of course, you're welcome to come back at any time. Oh, my God. No, really? You want, you want more of this? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I don't know if our listeners okay. do, but I do. Well, let's um, hear from them, too. <laughs> so we've been speaking with uh, Jose Domingo Cruz about his book, uh, Teaching with Zoom, an Advanced User's Guide. But we've Teaching also... with Zoom 2, an Advanced User's Guide. Uh, sorry, Teaching with Zoom 2, an Advanced User's Guide. And also mm -hmm. we've gone into different areas of yep. using online yep. teaching tools to improve 
our ability to uh, improve the teaching and learning experience of our students even after we get back to what might best be termed the new normal so but uh, thank you very much for your time today jose and i very much look forward to speaking to you again in the future chris thank you very much uh please give my uh my thanks as well to jonathan and uh, to everybody out there who's listening uh, i hope you um have uh, a greater experience uh, with your uh, with your teaching and uh, it was a pleasure uh, sharing the afternoon with you thank you again if you'd like to contact the show the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.